saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. The listener should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. All right, welcome to the Wolf Den. This is Dan David. Thanks for joining us again. We're here with a little part of the pack. I, we just have Carl, our sound engineer. God help us all. We have a guest today that's going to talk about digital currencies and our ongoing quest to learn more, be informed about where currency's going because uh, digital is going to be a part of our future. That's my opinion. So I'm trying to figure it out. Today we have Sam Reynolds. Sam is a journalist with Blockworks based in Taipei, so just right around the corner. Taipei, Taiwan. Blockworks is a financial media brand that delivers breaking news and premium insights about digital assets to millions of investors. So it seems like Sam's got to talk about her digital assets. He covers the intersection of digital assets and institutional investors and the world's most exciting economies. Prior to Blockworks, he was an editor with the Taipei based Forecast News, where he covered how blockchain is disrupting enterprise and governments throughout Asia. Sam also contributes to WCCFT? Uh, WCCF Tech. WCCF Tech. You're going to have to explain what that is. One of the largest technology news websites in the world. Gee, I guess I missed that. And lastly... <laughs> What brought him from Canada to Asia was his role as a market research analyst focusing on the gaming industry. So, thank you for joining us, Sam. Uh, what can you tell us uh, that's, that's new and exciting about digital assets and what we should be thinking in terms of digital assets? You're in Asia, so I think we want to know about the EUAN or whatever they're calling it over there. It seems like it's government-sponsored by China. Yeah, Dan. Well, first of all, it's great to be here. And definitely, you know, one of the most exciting topics these days is China's efforts to create a uh, central bank digital currency. So we've heard a lot about this or the CBDC. Uh, in the U.S., for instance, they're working on the digital dollar. But China's attempt at this is a lot different than what we have in the U.S. because, of course, the economy in China is a lot different and their policy has different mandates altogether. So, you know, if you want to rewind slightly, the yeah. one key difference in China compared to the U.S. is the huge love over there of mobile payments. So I don't know if you've been recently over to China, but the you know the key thing you need right now. Have I recently been over to China? Uh, yes, I, I, I'm not invited. <laughs> I'm invited. Well, not, I'm invited not to go to China. <laughs> well, perhaps that is a, a badge of honor. We'll okay. say. Okay. Um, Sorry. Go ahead. What, one of the key things you'll need over there is not your credit card. Yeah. Not cash, right? but rather an app on your phone. There's two major ones. One is called WeChat Pay. The second is called Alipay. Mm -hmm. And these are effectively ubiquitous across the country. Right. So, is it, is it, it is a true statement to kind of say, in general, that China skipped credit cards. I mean, they, they went and they almost really skipped computers to a degree, like in-home computers, and just went straight to the phone for payments, yeah. credit cards, and computer. Absolutely. So even beggars on the streets, they don't ask for change or money. They build a QR code it's, on their side. You're fucking shitting me. That's insane. You're kidding me. Yeah. So a QR code, and they've skipped you've, out. You've seen, a beggar, you've seen a beggar on the street ask you or somebody to drop a couple of QR codes. <laughs> Yes. So you wow. scan your phone, give them a couple of RMB, and they can buy some uh, Balchi or some steam buns. That is insane. But, wow. Yeah. High tech begging. So they can buy rocket fuel <laughs> uh, or some steam buns. 
Have you ever had that bouchy? Oh, geez. Or put the two together as well. Yeah, there you go. Now, here's the thing. If you are a central banker, you'd be quite concerned about the amount of uh, capital that is being used or put into these uh, payment apps, right? So if you look at supply of money, you have M0, which is cash, and then you have M2, which would be the commercial bank uh, money, commercial bank loans. So for all the usage of Alipay and WeChat Pay, you've got a massive bulge right there. So you have the central bankers looking down at the supply of money in China and seeing that Alipay and WeChat Pay have a huge bulge in M2. So if we want to enact monetary policy, we have to filter through this. So mm -hmm. there's less cash or M0, mm -hmm. and now we have too much M2. Hence the need for a CBDC. So in this case, it would be a digital version of cash and not digitized currency like you have with Alipay and WeChat Pay, but also what you have with a credit card, debit card, or any other kind of digital payment device, except the prevalence of those in the US or Canada or the EU is not as high as Alipay or WeChat Pay in China. So you have this monetary problem and now a solution for that. So, and this is really, it's not Bitcoin, right? And it's not, and it's not even based on blockchain technology or their own version of it. It's not actual blockchain, right? No, neither. So initially in their early days of development, they used something called DLT. That is the distributed ledger technology. So that is more or less blockchain's cousin. But they've come out and said that while DLT you know, worked well in theory, it can't actually accommodate the scale required to serve you know, all of China and their 1.3 billion consumers. Mm -hmm. The second problem with that is if you look at DLT, the first word is decentralized. Having this decentralized would definitely not vibe with their monetary policy, which is all about control. Right. So unlike the US dollar, the pounds, the yen, whatever, they float. their currency does not float right, freely. Yeah. It's controlled centrally. Yeah, so that's a problem. And blockchain technology in and of itself is a problem for them because they don't control it. Not controlling something for the China Communist Party is not an option. Having said that, they seem to be like moving forward, I think, faster than we are, I would say about adopting some kind of digital currency, about getting ahead of the curve, understanding blockchain, whether they use it or not, and, and the Bitcoin currencies. And, and we seem to be slow, uh, I think, in that. I think you and I were talking at one point, and I, I would say that my view of this is that most people here still don't have a big interest in Bitcoin. It's, it's the younger generation and maybe the, you know, People in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, they'll just die off. But how do we get this how do we get this knowledge to them? Because they need it too. I mean, look, Bitcoin's gone from what, four thousand dollars a year or two ago to what is it now, fifty? Well, certainly. Also, it's important to understand that, you know, if you look at CBDCs, be it a Chinese, American, or British one, they aren't Bitcoin. Right? It's a different kind of asset. Right. You know, they're similar, but a lot different. Now, to your point, how do we capture that market of people who are not you know, millennials, who are not younger, to get them into you know, Bitcoin? So my you know, idea on that is try and replace their existing infrastructure. So things like their accounts for savings at banks with ones that are backed by digital assets. So right now, I bet your bank for a pure savings account pays what? Under 1%, 0.8, 0.5%? I, I mean, look, I, I've, I've had this discussion many times, so this will be, you know, old hat to our, our, our listeners, but it's, it's part of the wealth gap here in the United States, right? That banks used to pay interest and, and lower income underprivileged people, if they had any extra money, it goes in the bank, not the stock market. And that's still the way it is today. But not only do they not get interest, but it costs them money to have a bank account, even this, even a savings account, right? With these minimum balances and these other fees. So, yeah, it doesn't pay shit. Uh, but I can guarantee you this much: when I open my accounts, 
there is a deal struck. I will pay no fucking fees <laughs> a month, period, yeah. for anything other than a wire transfer. And, you know, that, that took me round and round, but most people do. So, yeah, you don't get anything from it. And this, this could also help the, the lower income, right, people that, that want to appreciate value and compound their money back like when they used to be able to. Well, I won't endorse one service, but speaking of compound, you can go on compound right now with your stable coins. So things like uh, USDT, USDC, put in either a dollar, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars and start earning six, seven, eight percent on Binance. They have their stable coin called BUSD. And right now, if you lock in your capital, again, be it a dollar or a thousand dollars for three months, they'll pay you 7.5% or perhaps less, but 7% interest. Now, what does Bank of America pay or Citibank? Not, they I mean, pay nothing. nothing. They, I mean, they, by the time they, if they give you a half a percent, they'll charge you more than that in fees for the entire year. So, I mean, I think this is, this how how do we get this informed to people? Like, I mean, it's just not, there is no effort by our, our people pushing monetary policy, our government officials, uh, anybody with fiduciary responsibility at, at uh, these uh, big institutions to say, look at the opportunity here between getting nothing and getting something in, in a safe environment. I mean, is, is your money safe there? Sam, at Compound, or uh, what was the other one you mentioned? By or Dan. Binance. Well, look, I mean, that's the thing, right? So it's not going to be insured by the FDIC or, you know, stuff like that. But at the same time, though, these protocols have been around now for two or three years, and they haven't collapsed yet. Well, so, that, that's not a huge endorsement. That's not a very high bar, Sam, quite frankly. Means, I've been around for said, 52, though, and I haven't collapsed yet, but that could happen in any second. <laughs> that being said, though, what is stopping them from perhaps getting FDIC insurance? Well, the bank lobby. Right. Uh, the American Association of Bankers has a massive lobbying effort in D.C. that right. uh, actively campaigns against things like stable coins, uh, things like CBDCs. Right. So if you, if you want to look at what's stopping the average person from accessing this new world of finance, it's this group right here. Right. And on the weekends, they sacrifice children. That's very true. They're, they're monsters. <laughs> Your words, not mine, yeah. but yes, I, like I mean, that. it is, it is, it's awful. The, the banking lobby is very, very strong and so much more intelligent than the average member of Congress. Uh, you know, when, when I ran, you know, uh, the, the nightmare of a year that was the one thing that struck me is being in Washington and, you know, meeting with members and then meeting with any lobbyist in any field, they know vastly more than any member of Congress, any one member of Congress, not just about what they're lobbying about, but about almost all issues, right? I mean, you're talking somebody that's, you know, in charge of the confectionery lobby, right? So sugar's their thing and high fructose corn syrup. But I guarantee you, they know what's going on in banking too, more than a member of Congress does. They're the most informed people in town by far. It's a sad thing. It's unfortunate, but it's reality because if you look at the funds available to this banking lobby, they're massive. So they can hire the best and brightest. They can definitely hire the top graduates. It's it's unlimited. It's it's not just massive. It's unlimited. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but you know, you, you had talked about Dan the that it's the young people that are driving the the Bitcoin, but. I think it's also habit. Look at look at Apple Pay. Two three years ago, they only had a hundred million users globally. Uh, I think it was a couple months ago they announced that they're at almost four hundred million users globally, and it's not the 50, 60, 70 year old that's using Apple Pay, that habit or that function is because of the smartphone. It's that younger person using it. So I think they're more inclined to look at cryptocurrency because they've become that habit of their hard currency from their smartphone. So now it's just in their mind, an evolution. 
Well, I think also it's about the lack of friction points. So with Apple Pay, you simply point your phone and it works. And also the convenience of not having your wallet with you all the time. So if you're out for a jog, for instance, you don't want to bring around your wallet plus your phone, you have your phone with you and a simple tap can get you what you need. So I think if crypto finds ways to reduce those friction points, adoption will skyrocket. I totally agree, but they're they're having the hardest time because of let's let's all say it together banking lobbies yeah, yeah. right those well, friction I mean, points you have no faith yeah uh, I, let's look at what uh, happened with anchorage bank right so anchorage bank has a uh, banking charter designed for digital asset banks if you look at wyoming what's going on there they've got a very strong movement to create these alternative banking charters and alternatives to llcs that are crypto friendly yeah, so, it's yeah. just it's it's really tough when you have to go to like the the bank of Butte, Montana, <laughs> to to you know do any kind of transactions. We're we're really hoping for I don't know little thing called Wells Fargo or Citibank or Merrill and and these guys to really get on board. Well, I would not agree because when was the last time you stepped into a bank itself, right, to talk to a person? Um, it's been a while. I've said, listen, you're asking about this in the age of COVID <laughs> prior okay. to that, right. prior yeah. to that. I mean, listen, I, you know, there, there are some transactions that are, that are bigger than others and they want you to come in, but yeah, you, they don't want you there and you don't want to be there. They're making everything online. <laughs> That's right. So for most retail banking customers, they actually interact with a bank teller face-to-face -face very rarely. Most things can be done over the phone or via an app. So actually, if you do have an obscure bank of Beaumont, that's actually okay because do you actually need a bank? No, I mean, you might need cash. So you simply have uh, with your cards access to XYZ ATMs. Mm -hmm. And then you have your apps and your credit cards, what have you. So I think now... People rely on the actual bank presence physically a lot less than they did five or ten years ago. That's true. So where do you think this goes? I mean, you know, tell us what this looks like. Tell us what this looks like in a year, in five years, and in ten years for both digital currency, well, all three, and Bitcoin, and hard currency. You know, the M zero. I mean, which, which we don't have enough of on the planet, by the way, because. You know, three and a half trillion dollars stacked on top of each other will take you to the moon. <laughs> and we owe 30 trillion in debt. So how do you print all that money? You don't. Well, for that reason, I'm actually skeptical about the need for a U.S. CBDC without just that printing money. So I had, um, you know, dinner about uh, over Christmas with an uncle of mine who was a ex-politician and former you know, finance guy. And, you know, he's a bit older, and I tried to explain to him the idea of CBDCs. He said, Sam, that sounds like printing money. Governments love that, but it's not good for the economy. Now, that being said, though, in China, there's a different motive for this. So right now in Vancouver, we have the CFO of Huawei under house arrest yeah. because allegedly she used U.S. dollars to do business with Iran. Right. So you had a Chinese executive with a Hong Kong bank dealing with an Iranian company, but using U.S. dollars. So when you use Uncle Sam's currency, there are rules. At the same time, though, do you think Beijing likes the fact that one of their star companies has to capitulate and abide by U.S. rules because of a deal that had no U.S. nexus? No, not at all. So I think in that case, in China, there's going to be a strong push to develop a CBDC so they can have a trade block that is non-US dollar denominated. Right. So it's, it's to their annoyance that, you know, in Cambodia, one of their proxy states, they use the US dollar as a de facto currency, not the Cambodian real. So that's going to change. Uh, and, you know, around the world, we just see the US dollar being used because it's so liquid. Right. So, so the yuan is, you know, that, that, that whole idea that that would, you know, replace the dollar, uh, at least regionally in some places at first, you think it goes to the digital currency 
is how they get around or replace the dollar. And I mean, let's face it, you know, um, I, I forget her name at Huawei, uh, but I mean, she's a government official. I mean, she, I mean, she's it's not a private company. It's Huawei's the government. So yeah, they're really pissed that a high-ranking member of their government is being held in Canada and possibly going to be extradited to the United States just for using U.S. currency, dealing with a country, Iran, that China's fine with dealing with. I mean, they have a relationship with them. So, yeah, they're really trying to get away from the dollar, and so is Russia. That's right. Now, China has said that to calm things down with you know trade disputes, that they're not looking to replace the U.S. dollar by any means. However, they'll provide an alternative to this. Doesn't that mean the same thing? <laughs> well, okay. I mean, if you look at politicians speak and a bit of, you know, illegalese here and there, they want to make things nice. But in their, you know, in Africa, for instance, right, yeah. where they rely on now for things like resources, oil, mm-hmm. gold, they want deals done in right. digital currency, digital RMB, not in U.S. dollars. That being said, though, if you look at the U.S., there is a lack of incentive to replace the U.S. dollar with a digital dollar because there's just not right now that killer app for it. I mean, yes, you might get wire transfers to be a bit faster. You know, that is well and good. Yes, you will find efficiencies for delivering stimulus. But I don't really see that same need. I mean, that being said, though, I do see developments in second tier countries, you know, with their currencies. For instance, um, in Sweden, the Corona has been has been targeted uh, by their bank as a, you know, uh, a new pilot for CBDC. Likewise, in Thailand, the same thing. So these are countries that don't really want to be regional hegemons, but are still in their areas power brokers. So I'm sure that in Thailand, they would like it if you are a businessman in Bangkok dealing with a person in, say, Laos, and you do that deal in Thai bot, the CBDC, and not U.S. dollars. Yeah. So I see that really as the immediate, you know, uh, one to five year outcomes. You have uh, China and other countries developing CBDCs, but not the U.S., do you think that's a mistake on our part or do you just you you sticking by well we don't really need to. I mean why would we want to be the last one to do something? Yes, but given the US dollar's role in the economy, you have to wait to get it right. You could rush this and get it wrong and have this be a real boondoggle or you can wait and get it right. So right now honestly I see the digital dollar uh, efforts as more of a lobbying deal with Accenture who's involved in one of the projects than an actual viable alternative. Because look at this, in the last year, look at the amount of stimulus dollars dispatched around the US, huge. And for the most part, that was done pretty efficiently. I mean, no one complained about it. Take you to the moon and back, right? I mean, $7 trillion. Yeah. It, it is a massive, massive amount of money that is, is unthinkable phys- in physical form, number one. Number two, just the interest, which is the reason we can't raise interest rates, right? Because we owe that money to ourselves. Like people will say, like, you know, hey, we just won't pay China back. Well, (laughs) who we're not paying back is ourselves. We borrowed this money from ourselves, unfunded pension liability, Social Security, other things of that nature that is debt to us. So we can't raise interest because we can't afford to with that amount of massive debt. That's the joy of modern monetary theory, MMT, is that you actually just owe it to yourself and do not pay it back Well, you put yourself in debt. Right. Yeah, well, you're not paying it back to seniors who put into it, right? I mean, that, that's who you, that's, or, you know, you, it's definitely not going to be at this point somebody that's 18 or 19 that's put that much into, you know, what's been borrowed. You know, it's us. And to not pay it back means many, many less benefits, right? To start to pay it back would be great because then interest rates could go up. But like it literally, if we're at three percent interest rate, what are we talking? What are we talking about? Nine hundred billion dollars a year in debt service—that's more than we spend on our military. 
Well, the solution, I guess, if you're the Biden White House, is to tax the crap out of capital gains. Well, that seems to be what they're pushing. But that just simply moves that activity offshore, right? So if venture capitalists see this punitive tax on capital gains, they're going to say, okay, guys, uh, let's recap in Singapore and we'll start things up there. So that means the Silicon Valley is dead, yeah. right? Any kind of you know, high-risk technology venture is dead. The only reason why people risk their capital with VCs, and most VC projects fail, is right. that you can get a huge return for that one project, a, a moonshot. A lot of ticket, yeah. Right. right, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you hit one out of five, you're still doing fantastic. But that's that seems to be what's kind of being talked about right now is taking capital gains from 20% to, you know, raising the rate back from 37 to 39.6 or whatever it is, 39.8, and taking capital gains for people who make over a million dollars a year uh, completely away, taxing it at the top rate of 39.8. That, I mean, you know, when you have so much money in the market and so many people attached to it, uh, that's going to be really, really tough to see. And I'm l- listen, I'm agnostic, just telling you from my point of view. I was the same way on Obamacare, whatever, fine. It cost me a lot more money because like everything that got charged more and, you know, because of that bill kind of hit my bottom line. But I was like, fine. If everybody gets health care and everybody's healthy and they'll be taken care of, fine by me, I'll pay more. Only that didn't happen. And that becomes the problem with with our citizens, right? You want more money, I'm willing to give it, but fix the damn problem. <laughs> and then they don't. And that's why we don't want to pay more, because it's just really tax and spend, tax and spend, and nobody ever cuts anything. Well, there are two things in life that are quite mobile. One, people, the best and brightest, and two, capital. Yeah. So people will just regroup offshore. Yeah. Secondly, you know, people who do have lots of capital they can gain from never actually sell it. They only get loans against it. Right. So in the last like two or three years, we've seen a large industry pop up of services where you can get loans against your crypto holdings. So if you don't want to cash out of your Bitcoin or whatever, you can get a loan against that and, you know, not pay immediately the capital gains tax, but have access to that liquid dollar. Now, who's doing this? Uh, There are a lot of companies out there uh, doing that. They pretty much offer the same thing, which is you can lock in your crypto uh, into an account and take out US dollars against that. You pay between two to 5% interest, but you get that, those dollars at the end of that, right? So in that case, non-taxed right because you haven't it's not yeah you haven't cashed it out right yeah so here's the thing like let's say that you did well in crypto and you want to uh take that out to say invest further like invest in a startup uh invest in equities or buy a house the problem is when you take it out that is taxed right there so it's quite inefficient to have you know that point of pain because that means less money to go elsewhere in the economy. Right. So you're borrowing against one asset to buy another. That's correct. But the, I think the point is whenever you put up, you know, a wall or whenever you find a way to restrict something, there's always a loophole, not a loophole, but you know, a way around it. Right. Right. So with, you know, this proposed capital gains tax increase, well, prepare to see ways around this. Oh, they definitely will. They, de- they, they definitely will. I mean, you know, that's that's the, that's the problem with millionaires and multimillionaires. They, they tend to have people in their sphere of life that can tell them how to get around these problems. Smart and they can afford that. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you have money, that's that's the way it is. So we're really not solving, you know, the the equity gap between the rich and poor in this country, which needs to be addressed in a real way, not just a political pandering way. I, I think you're also going to see exodus from California, from New York. Their, Already. Their, their combined rates, if they do that, will be like over 50%. I, I, I don't go a week without hearing about a business in California, like major businesses that are moving out. I just heard yesterday, I was talking to somebody, and 
they, they, they maybe think that I have an interest or an idea that I would care uh, about anything to do with Roth capital. I don't. I don't. But even the, those guys are moving to Miami, I hear. Really? Yeah. So, like, invest, it doesn't make sense to have an investment bank in California paying those taxes, dealing with that bullshit, right? So, you go to Miami. What's the point of California, right? Like, if this goes through in California, your combined rate plus capital oh, yeah. gains tax will be more than Canada, but you get no health care yeah. and, you know, a high crime rate. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. And if you happen to be in San Francisco, it's still legal to shit in the street. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's not even Remember uh, the guy that was just pissing in the street right next to, next to the cop? It's legal. You yeah. can't do anything about it. But let me tell you something. If you spark up a cigarette, they will beat you down <laughs> and throw the jail on top of you. Oh, it's, it's the great irony of uh, the left coast. Yeah. 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 So, look, I think I think it's it's interesting when you think back five or 10 years and anybody listening like, you know, Bitcoin is a fad, a digital currency, whatever. Nobody's ever going to challenge the dollar. Every one of those things is wrong. That is just wrong. And all the people were saying it, especially the investment bankers, they were saying that Bitcoin is a fad. They had people working at their bank specializing in Bitcoin, understanding it. At the time, they were saying that it's not going to work out. And they still do. So, yeah, there are barriers. I think Bitcoin and the altcoins and Ethereum and everything else, it's still very clunky to just get in, buy it, and understand what you have and where it is. As those barriers start to come down through demand, as... These 20-year-olds are becoming 30, and they, they like that lifestyle with the, with the digital currency of Bitcoin, and then 40. It's going to be part of the future, so you can get on it now or get on it when it costs more. Well, didn't uh, Mr. Diamond say that if he catches any of his employees trading Bitcoin, uh-huh. you get a firing slip? That's no. the end of you. Except, right? for the, except for the division of people he had specializing in Bitcoin at the time. <laughs> Yes, of course. Now, now, of course, fast <laughs> yeah. forward to 2021, yeah. and just like every other major private wealth bank, they are offering their clients Bitcoin and crypto exposure. Yeah. I mean, the sick irony of everything is that what was once forbidden and would result in firing or account closure yeah. is now mainstream. Well, look, he's a lying shithead, and he always has been. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that doesn't surprise anybody here. I loved his testimony when he was... He was AOC was was giving him what for. And she was look prepared remarks. She's she can be pretty on top of it. And uh, and I loved how she was just taking it to him about his salary versus the average person hundreds of times. Right. And, you know, I'm just waiting. Oh, what's he going to say about this one? You know, he's this is not going to be good. He simply leans into the mic and says, I don't set my salary. The board does. And, and you know, AOC didn't know where to go with that, which I think is a good setup for, yeah, exactly. And what are they called? An independent board of directors? Only they're not independent. None of them are anymore. Corporate governance is gone. These guys are professional board members, and they get, you know, maybe 50, 100 grand a year, which is nothing. It's the options that they get a year for being on that board. They're not going to lose it by not giving Jamie a nice big salary. And, you know, any other bank uh, CEO or president as well goes for the same thing. That is something Congress could really affect. I would say, Sam, I don't know if you agree, that corporate governance and truly independent board of directors just doesn't seem to exist anymore. I mean, yes, that's one thing that has to be looked at is the people that apparently govern these corporations, you know, who do they respond to? Do they respond to the shareholders? Do they respond to the executives or the public as a whole? Well, the independent board of directors is supposed to be representing on behalf of the shareholder, but they don't. Right. Yes. But now should they be looking at interest of shareholders or stakeholders? Like Mm -hmm. I do not like AOC's politics that much, but I will say that she does have a point occasionally with stuff like this. Yeah, which one? When did she have a point occasionally? Tell me. <laughs> well, I mean, oh, you, about, you, about the pay gap? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Look, like, uh, yeah, yeah. It just falls into rhetoric, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, listen, I don't want to get too far off on a topic, a tangent here, but like, it's like when you, I think we all want a cleaner planet. 
If you don't, yeah, you're, you're just a, you're just a fucking shithead. But <laughs> when you when you say it's all or nothing in five years or ten years, it's a revolution, not an evolution. Well, then nothing gets done. Like I'll take something today, not as good as I want, not as much as I want, but something cleaner today. And let's let's, let's talk about compounding again, right? And compound on that and get better. And I think I think we're starting to do a little bit of that. And I mean, I think it would be really cool since, you know, it's green and we're cleaning the planet. Maybe we do that with digital currency. Like it's a whole kind of new method of doing things, not having to use money, money. I don't know. I mean, if we're going to do th things different, let's do it different. Well, you know, I think that a very productive theme in politics is looking at how the elite protects itself looking at how CEOs have their board that ensures that they have a great salary, but also then how their lobbyists ensure that investors who aren't accredited can't access the most exciting uh, you know, stocks and uh, ways to invest. Yeah. Because if you aren't accredited, you can't, with some exceptions, invest in startups, right? You don't have access to be able to buy uh, equity in companies that will have that 10, 20, 100x return. You're talking private equity? Yes. I mean, yes, there are certain ways that you can actually do this, right? With like Reg D and Reg CF. Yeah. But those only are a small percentage of right. the broader investments that the elite have access to, but other folks can't. Yeah. I mean, do you believe, I guess one of the central questions I was, I was going to ask you that I think is important, do you believe that digital currencies and alternative currencies will level the playing field a bit between the haves and the have-nots, or is it just going to be a different kind of have and have-not? Well, I mean, look, there's always going to be inequality, right? We'll always see those haves and haves not. But I think that the broader digital asset ecosystem will give access uh, to things like higher interest rates for savings accounts to people that can only usually get the piss poor point, you know, 5% from their local bank. So that will definitely help close that gap, right? It's much more fair if you can have access to those higher returns. Uh, again, with things like DeFi, right, things like liquidity provider tokens, you can start with some, you know, some knowledge and experience getting some real returns you know, from your capital that you won't get anywhere except for those things buying into a hot new startup, stuff like that. Yeah. So, like, look, there will always be this inequality. And in some ways, I think crypto has made the gulf wider. At the same time, it allows people to catch up, right? It allows them to get that extra point for interest or more than an extra, like a few points, and allows them to build wealth and build capital while at the same time, you know, there are those that are so good they can make God knows how much percentage. No. That being said, though, all the crypto elites I've spoken with, I know, right, are not as arrogant. They're more down to earth than the likes of uh, those ones on Wall Street. For instance, uh, Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX, the founder and CEO, he's a dude that is worth you know, $5 billion, how much it is, but he also sleeps at the office on beanbag chairs, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what that means. I think that makes him douchey. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that makes him any more or less arrogant. I mean, it's like, you know, you had to hear about Jack Dorsey five years ago that... He wakes up every morning and takes a bath in ice. I don't give a fuck, right? It's just, what service are you providing to people, you know, that, that is fair and needed? Yeah, these guys have, they're, they're all quirky, right? And that gets them a little more time with journalists like you. Like, look, this guy in the beanbag chair. Well, I will say that FTX has provided a lot of value in creating, you know, a new marketplace. That matters. Whereas yeah. Jack Dorsey has created just poison. Oh. That yeah. Has ruined discourse. yeah. Yeah. I like, I think that if FTX is creating value for people and, and an opportunity, then that's more important than the beanbag thing. I remember what was a, <laughs> I was uh, working on a short, I believe it was GTT global 
Technologies, who are bankrupt now, two years later. But as I was talking to a, a former employee, this former employee is like, oh, the CEO, this Calder guy. He is so sharp, so smart. He knows exactly what he's doing. They're probably not taking on too much debt like like you're lending a, uh, me to think you believe. And I'm like, well, what makes you think he's so sharp? Every time I met with him, he used a pencil. A pencil. He took notes in pencil with an eraser. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Like, I mean, like, it What's means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it, it turns out, like, you know, they were still a shitty company. And, you know, Dorsey taking an ice bath means nothing. He's either a good or a bad person. Same thing with FTX guy and his beanbag chair. But, like, look. I think this is great. I want to, you know, I want to do more of this. I, I would like to know from your perspective, and I know you got to be careful because you're a journalist, but there, there are some great opportunities we know about in digital currency, Bitcoin, and then there's some real crap out there too. And that's what people are afraid of. Can you talk to, speak to in any way what, maybe people should be more mindful of, stay away from, or, you know, an outright fraud? Well, yeah. So the important thing always is do your own research, right? So here's some key things to look for when looking at a crypto project. First of all, look at how much capital is locked into the project. So you have tools, for instance, like, uh, like DeFi Pulse and, you know, other kinds of data repositories where you can see, you know, is the project that has a few thousand dollars, a few million dollars, or a few billion dollars. It's quite likely that should the project have a lot of capital in it, it's not gonna be a scam, perhaps. You know, not ever, ever, but you know, less likely. Uh, secondly, of course, you know, just look around at what the community says. I mean, you know, don't look on Reddit because they're just idiots that try and game, <laughs> you know, uh, machine learning algorithms that look for sentiment. Uh, do things that look at look at different uh, investors, what they're saying. You know, there are some great, really savvy investors out there that have done their due diligence on projects. Uh, for instance, there's uh, Matthew Graham with a firm called uh, Sino Global Capital. Uh, they're based actually in China. And he does on his projects fantastic research and due diligence. And often they will tweet out their investment thesis on that. So, of course, that's not saying you should invest based upon their word only, but they would have a pretty informed take on the project. So yeah, so look at the capital locked in, look at what the big guys are saying, the big investors, and then just look around at the different reports for research out there, like uh, Mazari or other firms like that. So- Well, look, I've never heard of some of these firms, not, not that I should, but you know, I think maybe others haven't either. So, you know, where do they go to start to to get knowledge on this? I mean, do they read your column or other columns like that? I mean, I mean, like, where do you find these names to follow? Well, of course, uh, on Blockworks, we do have uh, okay. just the best news you can use. Uh, but no, I mean, there is a, a very broad ecosystem out there of uh, you know news sources that have this digital assets, you know, slash crypto uh, theme to them. So, of course, you can look at, you know, Coindesk, uh, you can look at Decrypt, you can look at, um, you know, Forecast News. These are all great sources. Okay, and, good. you know, the first, the first step is to build up your own domain knowledge, right? right. Like, don't start investing your money without knowing the difference between uh, DeFi, uh, liquidity provider tokens, uh, things like, you know, that, things like what Solana versus Ethereum is. If you go in cold like that, you're going to get wrecked, all right? So do your research, you know, play it safe. Uh, look for trusted news sources and investors to follow. Elon Musk, so everybody should buy Dogecoin? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not Elon Musk. Okay. Yeah, so first of all... Mark Cuban, yeah. Elon Musk, he likes to make memes, and that's all good and fun. But as someone to follow for material investment advice, uh, no, thank you. Yeah. And secondly, you know, stay away from people that have uh, names like Crypto Bitlord or FX Hedgers or something, right? So generally speaking, if you have a pseudonym out there and like a cat avatar on Twitter, yeah, 
you probably aren't a reliable source of advice. What about a wolf avatar? What about a wolf coin? Are those okay? Now, wolf coins, doge coins, you know, they're all good fun, <laughs> but uh, well, it's something to punt around. I guess I won't, I guess I won't have my own coin then. We were doing a spack anyway. Yeah, we're doing. No, that's there right. You go. We're yes. doing wolf spack. <laughs> when in doubt, go for the spack. That's there, right. Yeah, that that's is right. the way to go. And I'm going to have, uh, you know, Chamath uh, advise me because when you <laughs> yes. have spack Jesus on your side, you can't go wrong. Yes, when he's not posting thirst traps on Twitter, of no uh, shirtless and you know no clothes on. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. If I have not called Chamath a douche today, you're a douche, Chamath. You uh, and uh, Jeff Ubbin. I don't, I don't really care if you think you're saving the planet. I don't. Well, agree. I was watching CNBC one day, and they pretty much turned it over to him. I he saw was the that. Anchor. He yeah. was the host. Yeah, they're not going to do that again. I, you know, you know who actually gave him a little bit of a hard time that day was Andrew Ross Sorkin, who generally I wouldn't expect that to come from him. I think it was probably all over what's his name's head, Joe Kernan. Yeah, uh, yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, he, they actually brought up okay, like you know, at some point. Chamath, are you going to tell us how much money you stand to make and how much you put in? Were you watching the same episode where he's like, oh, yes, I, yeah. you know, I put in over $100 million or whatever. And they were like, mm, isn't that you and several other investors? It's not all your money. Oh, well, yeah. Well, you know, I'm participating. <laughs> but, uh, it's it's ridiculous. And now he's, he's out of Virgin Galactic, right? Yeah. You're just like, gone. Well, when you're an influencer like that, I guess you don't have the hard questions sent your way. You can just say, uh, uh, uh. Well, then he then he did get interviewed on CNBC by, uh, shit, I forget uh, I forget who it was. The, he gave him a hard time. Yeah, um, yeah but yeah, Chamath did not do so well on the, the GameStop tweets where he's, you know, kind of pumping that. Sam, you're a really smart guy with this stuff, really level-headed. We seem to agree on who all the douches are. <laughs> I like that. Um, what else would you add for our first show? Maybe the first of a few conversations. What have we not talked about? What should I know? What should our listeners know? Well, look, you know, here's the thing. Uh, despite what bank lobbyists want you to believe, digital assets are real and they are revolutionizing retail banking. So just wait and see what happens. I mean, we will ha see a lot of very unique things occur this year. It'll be quite exciting, and it'll be a really you know whole well, new world. Well, like what? Don't tease us like that. Well, what's going to happen thing, this year is going to be unique and exciting. Okay, so having uh, these digital asset bank charters is quite something. So I mentioned earlier there are services where you can you know put your stable coins into a savings account and collect some pretty awesome interest on that. Now that means you have to, you know, go out and buy at the market, that kind of stuff. You have friction points like wire transfers, so on and so forth. With these banks, that will be native in your app. So you uh, want to get people involved in this. Well, have, as we talked about earlier with Apple Pay, less friction points. So instead of screwing around with wire transfers and buying your USDT or whatever we want for stable coins, it's all in the app and it's seamless. The plumbing works. So stuff like that, you know, will be the next big advancement we see this year. And for the retail investor, will definitely revolutionize things. Well, the retail investor is definitely doing something. <laughs> They're, you know, it, it is in a way, I agree, a, a revolution. I hope it's not going to be a true rebellion when we get a 20, 30, 40%, you know, well, 20, 30% pullback. And then any more than that's a recession or, or a depression. But- you know, it's going to pull back. And I think some of these retail guys are going to get really, really hurt. And diversification, I've always found in a situation like that's very key. I used to say 33% real estate, 33% stock market, 33% in your venture capital, meaning you own your own business or something. You know, now you could, you could add digital currency to that. You could add Bitcoin to that as a, as a part of diversifying, maybe not as high as the others, but maybe have some of it, right? Well, yes. Yeah. So in Canada, on the TSX in Toronto, we've seen almost half a dozen Bitcoin ETFs launch to great success. And it's made the ETF sector up in Canada the hottest it's been ever, right? So that's showing that this works and we can have crypto-based ETFs. 
And the SEC and the authorities in the U.S., you know, are on notice. They have to do this. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Very exciting stuff. And I really appreciate you coming on, Sam. I think we'd like to have you on in the future, especially like if we if we do other shows with Bitcoin and we have somebody on here that uh, that, that you like or that you don't like and like to hear about it. Uh, it doesn't Absolutely. mean you have to come on that the show great. and tell me, but, you know, give me a call and let me know. And let's, we want we want this to get more fluid uh, for our audience because, quite frankly, a lot of our audience are just kind of like affluent investors who are, you know, either taking big long positions or short sellers, uh, people who are wanting to be day traders and, and shorting. But Bitcoin should be a part of our, our nexus as well. Any questions for you, Carl? Good. Thank you. You were very <laughs> interesting today. I, I, we learned from Carl that the penny costs more to make than it's worth. <laughs> that is a metaphor for Carl. It really is. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. If you like this episode, give us a retweet. Leave us a comment. You can follow Sam at Sam. This is where you jump yes, in. Yes, on Twitter at uh, the Sam Reynolds or my work on BlockWorks.co. And how often do you publish uh, an article? Are you an article a day, a week, or usually every day? Really? So come on, come on by. It's a very busy world. It's a beast. Wow. Why are you in Taipei, by the way? Well, so Asia is a huge, you know, focal point for digital assets. Yeah. And if you look at Taiwan, it's a great low cost and also safe, unlike Hong Kong, place to cover for the now. region. So for now. Yes. Well, I, I think it's going to be safe for a while, but we can cover Hong Kong without being arrested under the- For at least the next month. Security <laughs> law. And uh -huh. cover Singapore without paying Singapore real estate rental fees. Yeah. But yeah, it's good times. Well, listen, I'm a big Taiwan fan, but uh, don't get too attached. It's uh, okay. It's not going to end well. That right. sounds good. All Th right. Thanks for joining Thank us, you. Sam. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a comment. Give us a retweet. Follow us on Twitter. Thanks for joining us.